everyone, and welcome to this week's Start Somewhere for Marie Claire with me, Sarah Vaughan. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by the amazing Val Jacobs, writer, speaker, and activist, and co-founder of Fashion Acts Now. Hi, Val. How are you? I'm really good, Sarah. How are you? I'm very good, having fluffed my intro about five times, so thank you for bearing with me. <laughs> Oh, bless you. So, Val, as now you know, um, the first question is always, you know, how did you get started in life? Well, uh, curiously, I did an art history degree. Um, so I would say that I was always visually very aware of of, um, of, of life, really. Um, I got into journalism and I did various editorial roles. But when I joined Metro, I originally joined as a shopping editor. They were looking for a shopping editor. Ironies of ironies, if you now consider <laughs> where I am. No, I mean, that's full circle. <laughs> um, and it very, very quickly became clear that I was less interested in white goods and much more interested in the fashion side of the page. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I created the, the fashion uh, page for Metro. Um, and it... It, it was just it was just a fascinating area in those times. It was so full of life. It was in the early 2000s. You know, we were really hitting the big time when the brands were really starting up. There were so many initiatives. It was, it was, it was very creative, very, very fun. Um, so I would say that f- at least for the first half of my time at Metro, I was absolutely having a ball. I was meeting some of the most creative people in the world. You couldn't mm. really... Um, fault that at all Uh, I was traveling the world to meet some of them as well so yeah it was a really really rich life Um, but then as you know Sarah you know uh, bad news about the industry started to really really emerge make me feel uncomfortable doing what I was doing I think one of the things that made me really sit up was just how much stuff there was so I was getting by the time I left in 2013 I would literally be getting a thousand emails a day, everything trying to promote a new project um, or a new product and something else for, for people to buy. So I, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. I think I have a lot. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, needless to say, I didn't answer every one of them. Um, but certainly that was the beginning of a discomfort with my role in this industry. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can really understand. And, and I remember that kind of heyday. And yeah. Metro was riding very high on the crest of that wave. And I mean, that shopping page that you edited, was it? I mean, if you've got your, your brand or, or item in that page, I mean, it was guaranteed to pretty much sell out, wasn't it? Yes, I mean, we had a captive audience. And when I say because it was distribution on the tube, we literally had a captive audience of about three million. So, um, so PRs, uh, the public relations, I would get treated to all sorts of amazing things. I mean, I have to say, you know, it was fantastic role. Um, but like I said, enough was happening to make me feel a bit uncomfortable about the way it was going. Yeah. And, and, and Belle, share with us some of, some, of, some of those things that you started to notice, you know, and you started yeah. to get interested in. Yeah, um, I started, well, Well, first of all, there was the sheer quantity of product. Second, there was probably the quality of, of product as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of things like copying um, other designers. So the, the, the immersive, emerging high street shops were copying, you know, works of genuine creativity, making them very cheap, very accessible, which of course is wonderful. You want things, ideas to be accessible to people. But I think there were just simmering sort of conversations coming up going how are these things being made 
what's the true cost? Um, there was also the emerging sustainable fashion um, field, which was very, very low level at that time. The product wasn't pretty. By, by yeah, it, it really wasn't. I have to say. Yeah. I, mean, I remember looking at some of this, going, "I really want to. I really want to like it, but yeah. I." I, can't. I really can't. And, and then and then they was more expensive. But I think as time went on and, you know, there was this emerging sense that perhaps the climate on the planet was starting to suffer. Um, the movement of sustainable fashion got stronger, yeah. which was brilliant. And, and the designs improved and, and design, the sustainable designers were really thinking in terms of what are the aesthetics of their product. Um, but the news was still getting worse. Um, and fashion's place in it wasn't being directly highlighted. I really noticed that, that people weren't, it was like, okay, we're in a bit of an emergency here, but fashion's going to go on doing its thing and it's going to provide us relief and creativity and fun and frivolity. And it's this, it's another world. The world starts to come together really, really slowly. And of course, the big culmination, I think the big up wake up moment, I go on about it a lot, Sarah, because I can't stress enough how important it was, was the fall of Rana Plaza. So the garment factory in mm -hmm. Dakar, which took over a thousand lives. And then from that moment, all of these stories emerged about what the fashion industry was doing to the people, obviously, who were making our clothes, the hidden people, because I think a lot of, we really didn't understand. I mean, I was, I was deep in the heart of fashion editing, not knowing just how heavy a toll um, uh, fashion was taking on the people and on the planet. So the light bulb moment for me was was Rana Plaza. And after that, I think I left pretty quickly, um, just thinking I really can't continue to promote some of the labels that I, I think are not working in the best ways possible that that are, are causing more destruction. So yeah, it was it was quite a it was a light bulb moment. And not just for me, many, many people in the industry stood up and, and said, mm, something's wrong here. Yeah, and, and, and then that kind of heralded this watershed moment, didn't it, really, where people started to get curious yes. about fashion. And as I, you know, I said to you before we started, you know, fashion is an agricultural and manufacturing business. We forget that. We, we get so lost in the fantasy and the inspiration, which is very beautiful. But, yes. but we forget that most of our, our clothes started as trees or plants yes. um, using a lot of water. And also, you know, in order to be so cheap, you know, or affordable, are, are made by people in extremely poor working conditions in developing parts of the world, normally women and often children. And, you know, it's quite disgraceful who are living in shocking circumstances with, you know, rivers, you know, full of dyes and toxins and, and everything around them kind of dying. Um, and, 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 you know the, the the true cost, as you say, on on the planet is is of, of the fashion industry has been terrible, and it's a two point five trillion dollar industry. This is not kind of some small distillery <laughs> cottage industry. It's one of the largest industries in the world, and right up there in terms of destruction. I mean, I'm I'm not sure quite where it is in the rankings, but you know, close closely after kind of oil and gas and, and some of the you know what we consider the world's most polluting industries. Yeah. So you took the very brave step to leave. I mean, did you explain, you know, why you were leaving at the time? Did you say, you're like, I, I can't do this anymore? You know, we, we, you know, when, when people asked you, how, you know. No, not overtly, actually. Um, I think during my role in Metro, 
I would put in as much ethical content as possible. And when Rana Plaza happened, I covered it. And when Fashion Revolution started a year after the Rana Plaza um, fall, I covered that. So I think my readers would have known that these were issues that were important to me. But did I explicitly say no? And, and it's such an interesting question, Sarah, why I, I didn't. And I wonder if perhaps I felt that People weren't ready to hear it. I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't know. And, and that's such an interesting point. But I know it was strong enough to make me feel I really need to step back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people, I think people do do often a lot of very, very important things to them without maybe communicating all of their, their impulses. And, and we can, wow, Sarah, Sarah that's such an interesting question. And it's just fascinating given yeah. that you're so vocal now. Do yeah. you really that, that do you have this moment and maybe, I don't know, maybe there was a moment of introspection where you yeah. needed to go and find out more. <laughs> I think you're so right. That's such an, I, I, can I think about it and get back to you? Because I didn't feel that supported still. So I think, I think the knowledge was emerging, but I didn't feel that I was in a position to go, I can't participate here anymore in this really overt way. Now I feel I can, I'm, I'm supported by my community. Um, but I also feel it's also much more talked about. Yes. I don't feel like such a renegade anymore. <laughs> Whereas yeah. before it was like, am I the only person doing this? I wasn't really seeing a lot of other fashion editors stepping away from their roles. Yeah, what an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's testament to you that you have built this community now. I mean, you know, really and truly. And and, and I would say, yes, that would have been a quite a lonely voice at that time, yeah. you know, in quite a loud industry, you know, yeah. who, 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 who potentially didn't want to actually confront some of these issues, yes. you know, either, which was, was very tricky. So having left Metro, what did you then do, Bill? Yes. I set up a website, uh, which was in my name, belljacobs.com, which was designed to focus purely on ethical fashion initiatives, because I was at that point at a stage where I believed that if we could just promote the ethical alternative as a counterpoint to industrialized fashion, that that would be enough to act. Um, I became a freelancer. uh, much more, again, trying to stay within my remit. But then Extinction Rebellion was launched in 2018. And Extinction Rebellion spoke directly to all the concerns I was having about the climate emergency. So the moment I heard about it, really, I was volunteering to be a steward. Um, their first major action was closing down the bridges um, in London. And, and I was right there. And it was a really, really powerful moment for anyone who had any concerns about the IPCC reports or any of the news coming about the climate emergency, this was the first time a physical manifestation of all the people who were remotely as worried as I was. And I felt a massive sense of, let's say it again, community, of like-mindedness and um, of hope, which is what comes from being part of this um, movement. And so I joined uh, Extinction Rebellion, I joined my local group, and of course, Extinction Rebellion Fashion was launched at the same time. And it was quite self-evident that I I needed to use some of my expertise and my contacts to to be part of that. Everyone in Extinction Rebellion Fashion were were industry insiders. So they were, so so when we talk about the power of the community. And and I think that's very important for people to realize that, that, that this wasn't outsiders, Yes. intent on attacking the industry this was people who had worked like yourself for years in yes. very senior roles in the industry who felt desperately 
desperately uh, aggrieved, if you like, about 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 what fashion was doing for the planet. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think it is very, very important to remember that about this movement. We are industry insiders. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about kind of the the early actions you took, because there was extraordinary activity kind of taking place within some of the, you know, the fashion schools in in London and and also extraordinary action taking place around Fashion Weeks, which which continues to this day. So I'd love you to kind of, you know, actually outline the extraordinary things you were doing. Yes. Um, so I think we're very well known for our two main campaigns. And the first one was boycott fashion. Um, and we were asking people to stop buying anything new. And this is significant. This is a significant move away from the feeling that alternative and ethical practices are enough to answer the calamity that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, we were asking people to, to really reconsider, you know, whether we needed new clothing. As you say, everything comes from the earth. And we were starting to realize that the earth is being pushed to its complete limit. It cannot produce new stuff. Um, Particularly if you look at fashion as well, this is new stuff that is increasingly worn less and less and less, Mm -hmm. and then ends up in landfill. And I think the, the... the, the statistics around waste are shocking. I mean, I think between 70 and 90% of all clothing made ends up in landfill or is incinerated. So we're pulling from the earth this precious finite resources, um, not only of the earth, but of labor and uh, of the animals that we exploit in the system. We're using them for a short amount of time. We're dumping them. And so we created this campaign asking people to really, really stop shopping. Um, and to hold this in mind, where our clothes are coming from. Um, and, and Sarah, it was really a challenge for all, all of us. And I, I think it's, it's the, the first campaign where we found our courage, where we realized that this was not going to be an easy uh, ask. And we found the courage to stick. Because we got a lot of backlash from people within the industry and even from within campaigning groups asking for a better fashion industry saying this is not reasonable um, and this will have impacts and it taught us to stick to our big anarchic message because that is the message that will get people debating and arguing and then agreeing and then not agreeing and then that will stir up Um, the status quo and challenge the system. So it was hard, it was exhilarating, it made people think very hard. And one of the successes of that campaign was that people did start asking the right questions. And I think it was after that that you still, you got more emphasis on we need to reduce, we need to reuse, we we need to recycle, um, we need to think about things in a different way. Um, and then and the that's, second- that's so important, Val, isn't it? Because I mean, like, even just buying one less pair of jeans, I mean, yeah. one pair of jeans uses like 1,800 gallons of water, Yeah, you know, to make a pair of jeans. I mean, that's to mainly grow the crops that grow the jeans. But I mean, that's more than entire villages- <laughs> Yes, you know, we'll drink in a year. Yeah, you know, if, if, and clean water is one is 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 a finite resource on this on this planet. And yes. I think people kind of like a bit like, well, you know, what what can I do to help? Well, actually, like if you don't buy that new pair of jeans, I mean, like my favorite pair of jeans. <laughs> just developed a whole and you know I'm going to chop down to my mentor who's going to look at me and kind of roll his eyes at me again (laughs) really and I'm like yes (laughs) but but I'm not you know it's you know but but 
you know, that pair of jeans is going to live a lot longer yes. <laughs> by doing that than, 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 you know, than, than, you know, and, and it's this very small decisions that each of us can actually make yes. that you will, will kind of really, really, really add up. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think, uh, so I think in terms of, of, of liters, it's 2,700 liters to grow the cotton for a single cotton t-shirt. Okay. We're meant to drink two liters of water a day. Okay. It's difficult to drink two liters of water a day. And yet somehow we're using 2,700 liters of water to grow the cotton for a single t-shirt. You go into any shop, do you see how many t-shirts there are? I mean, we're talking about so much water at a time when we're moving into a world where water will become increasingly a scarcity. I mean, in some countries already, it is a precious, precious resource. So you're absolutely right to frame it in that way. And also you're, we're right to take it, you know, what we need to do more of is related to personal lives, you know, um, which is, is, is particularly the lives of the consumers. It's absolutely fundamental. Yeah. And then you were going to talk about the second action that yeah. you took as well. Yes. Okay. Well. Well. Then the art. Then the next ask was to cancel Fashion Week. So as you can tell, we're really not. <laughs> <laughs> I. I don't think even when we asked for it, we realised just how big our ask were. We were. We were so focused on the figures, on the science, uh, as we are now, on 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 the, on the extent of the emergency. So we um we led a funeral march uh, down um towards uh, London Fashion Week on the Strand, uh, calling for the cessation of all fashion weeks. And the rationale behind that was basically that fashion weeks are of themselves very, very polluting. They, they, uh, they emit a lot of carbon because you're basically flying all these journalists around the world. Um, and the actual mechanisms and building a fashion week is very, very carbon intensive. But it was also the cultural aspect of the fashion week in promoting continually the idea of the new item, that we need to strive to the new, that every season we must have a new dress or we must have a new skirt length or, or we must have a new pair of jeans. Um, and then the, the other thing about that really was if fashion is the cultural signifier it can, of the negative, it can also be the cultural signifier of the positive. So we wanted desperately for the British Fashion Council to say, we will use this, this voice that we have, the influence we have to, to promote, to highlight the emergency and to promote new ways of thinking towards the emergency using fashion as a vehicle for positive change. What that specifically and, and looks like. What a vehicle, right? Well, yeah. what a vehicle. I mean, like yeah. to make this cool and to really have the most creative, brilliant minds, you know, right. on the planet, kind of really looking at how, how you know, how you can save the world, yeah. <laughs> how you can change behavior. My God, I mean, there's no better industry for it, right? There's no better industry for it. I mean, fashion literally reaches into almost every part of our physical and cultural psyche, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's about identity, about creative expression, um, about community, about you know the group that you're part of. It's it's it has amazing influence. And yeah, and and also I think so much of it is actually about celebrating the natural world and its beauty. I mean, like when you look at so many of the extraordinary designs, I mean, they are inspired by 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 what people are seeing around them. You know, whether yeah. it's the people or or, or, or the cultures or or, or um, you nature itself. You know, it's that's where the inspiration is often coming from. 
Well, you're, you're making me think of the exhibition at the VNA, which drew that connection so explicitly, didn't it? Fashion from Nature at the VNA was really an epic um, response to that idea that we will literally celebrate nature in our clothing. In, I mean, I can see your top now is basically a reference to a natural, you know, an animal. Um, but also, I suppose the irony with that is that you churn out a whole load of floral dresses, but at what cost to the actual nature that's given you that inspiration? And I think, I think the movement now is really to connect those two, you know, um, and and to celebrate nature through through the clothing, but in a very fundamental way, almost going back to the earth rather than taking from it. And what was the response from the fashion industry to, to <laughs> saying let's cancel fashion? <laughs> quite quite similar to the response to the other campaign um and it was really it was really interesting Sarah I had to go in it was a a momentous day I had to go into the BFC and sit on a panel with Arizona Muse and Cameron Saul from from Bottle Top and Tamsin Blanchard from Fashion Revolution and be part of this panel talking to an audience of uh beautiful London Fashion Week attendees Mm -hmm and say to them, we need to stop. <laughs> and, and then, and talk about mass extinction and talk about climate emergency. Um, and I felt uh, it's really hard to do that, but not as hard as you'd think it was because I knew that this was a message that had to be conveyed. So it, it was a really interesting moment. Um, and British Fashion Council, to, to give them credit, I think understand mm. the urgency, but like so many would-be pioneers in this movement, they're being very held back by having to work within traditional boundaries. And I think what we are asking for is that we crash through all boundaries and envisage something completely new. Um, so from going from the BFC and doing that talk, I then had to go onto the streets and 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 be part of the, the funeral march. But again, Sarah, there is a movement. There is an understanding. It's slow to come, but we have since talked with many, many really inspiring people within the industry pushing for change. Um, and we are starting to understand the incredible counterforce against them uh, which to, to shorthand it is the economic system. Yeah. Um, and so what we're hoping for is really that these inspiring people will in the end win out. The yeah. voices are incredible. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm always just reminded, you know, that IKEA makes more out of money out of an upholstered sofa than it does out of a new one. And yeah. I'm like, surely that is the business model for, for, yes. for the fashion industry. Like, yeah. you know, really kind of embracing these new models of, yeah. of making fashion, if you like, work harder. You yeah. know, like, you know, how can you actually personalise your fashion in a way? How can you actually design things that have several seasons in them that you can update and change? <laughs> you, know, you know, how can you, like, rent, swap you know, do everything other than put this stuff into landfill. And, and and this is where I'm kind of like, there is so much happening. This is so exciting. Yes. And in a sense, you know, like even with the fashion weeks, I mean, isn't it ironic that 
you know, in the past year, I mean, fashion yeah. weeks have pretty much shut down anyway. Yeah. You know, yes. and 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 really, you know, this is the new reality that 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 we're living in. You know, um, you know, and there's a big obviously bigger conversation about you know was the pandemic part of climate change or not or what? <laughs> but you know, in yeah. in a sense, it is it is you know, potentially the, the the stuff of things to come. And, yes. and, and you know, a lot of the, the, you know, the things brought up by the pandemic are, are stuff that, you know, are, are, are interwoven with the climate change issues. Yes, I mean, they, they very much are. I, th- I think it is quite clear that the pandemic is a result of uh, definitely our interference with nature mm. um, and our... Uh, you know, our abuse of nature, if you like, uh, it's, a, it's a very laden term, but I think we definitely are not treating nature very well at tremendous cost to ourselves. And you're right. I think the industry will have, the industry, I think, has two options. It either changes before the tidal wave hits or it is pulled along. Mm-hmm. Um, and many parts of it, will, the parts of it that don't adapt will not survive, I think. I think in 20 years' time, our so-called high streets will look very, very different. Yeah, and, and I'm reminded, I mean, when I talk to kind of young, you know, London College of Fashion students, I mean, I'm talking to, to amazing youngsters who haven't bought anything for three years. Yeah. I mean, studying fashion. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. assumption would be that, you know, yeah. they that's, you know, that they would be buying a lot of fashion, but no. Yeah. And I feel that that is the tidal wave of, of young, very conscious, very active, very curious kind of people who really are going to get to the heart of like, you know, who made my clothes? Yes. You know, where did they come from? You know, what was the supply chain? And, you know, we, we ooh, I think, you know, we can, a lot of us are guilty of this. I know I am. I look at the dress or I look at the, and I go, oh my God, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, and then I'm like, I want it. But am I really thinking about like, where did this come from? Yeah. Does it have lots of sequins on it, for instance? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what price is this? Where, who manufactured it, you know? Yeah. And, and I think these are the really, really kind of interesting things. It's kind of like you need to look at the clothes that you buy. I mean, I always use the 30-day wear rule anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's like for anything I buy, it's like that's a great stop. But we need to stop and think and really be mindful about, you know, do I really need this? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what is the impact of this? And, and, and will I really use it and wear it to, you know, <laughs> To, to, to the end of its life yes, yes. <laughs> and, and that goes whether it's vintage I feel or, 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 or new but particularly if it's new yes I mean I you brought up so many points there Sarah I mean first of all is the energy of the youth um I think they offer us our great hope um they are increasingly demanding of knowledge and action. Um, Greta Thunberg is one, but someone, obviously, she's, she's, she's the most well-known, but someone once said to me, wait until the 11 and 12-year-olds start to really hit their stride. Oh, wow. And being the mother of an 11-year-old girl, I can see what their potential could be. Um, but we are coming back also to the need for education um there are still huge swathes of 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 
the purchasing community who don't know these issues. Um, and their being, you know, their counter-education is messaging from brands saying, you want to look like this woman and you want to buy this outfit. And if you don't buy this outfit, you, you're not as relevant. Uh, and we need to create an educational movement that, that offers a counterpoint to that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think a bit like the self-esteem movement yeah. did, if you like, you know, with 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 actually really showing that so much of the imagery that people yeah. were being, you know, given, if you like, or fed was actually uh, airbrushed. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. You know, we had examples of like, you know, <laughs> supermodels yeah. on the front pages of magazines and people were kind of saying, well, you know, if you actually look like her, then I can believe it was <laughs> real, you know. Well, I, I do this. I, I, it's the same kind of thing, really. Exactly. I do this fashion in schools talk, uh, which was a bit shut down by the coronavirus thing. And when I start the whole talk by showing uh, the students pictures of, of me in the newspaper. So I used to used to do that classic thing where I would dress up in the look of the season and I would explain how you reached it. And, and it would be a long, drawn-out process of hair and makeup and retouching and you know one picture in every 50 looks kind of okay and then we'll work on that and so what I do with the kids is that I show them the picture of me in the newspaper looking sleek and blow-dried and then I invite them to look down at the real person (laughs) and just go look at this you know because in that image I look incredibly polished and beautiful and there's a reason for that and these are the Mm -hmm. images that a fashion is showing you all the time and the only reason that you're going to approach these worlds is by buying this item is basically what a fashion ad is saying Um, so yeah you're absolutely right the information that the fashion industry puts out about its own products they create worlds don't they They have beautiful, beautiful pictures and beautiful artists and makeup artists and it's all gorgeous and you want to be part of it. But the only way you can be part of it is by buying that T-shirt or that handbag. Yeah, and and it's like, let's be part of it because we're all part of saving the planet. So it's kind of like, let's let's create the beautiful stories about what what we gave back or or, or what we changed. And and for me, that's the adventure and the excitement. And I think, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people have really probably in the industry have been really challenged. They know a lot of stuff, but this is the old model and they're finding their way into the new. And I, I personally, I feel very optimistic that, that they they will. So I want to talk to you. I mean, you co-founded um, Fashion Acts Now. So tell us a little bit uh, uh, about that book. So Fashion Act Now uh, grew out of um, a realisation, Extinction Rebellion works in a very particular way, it doesn't want to offer solutions because by offering solutions uh, it becomes a political party. So what we were finding ourselves in, in positions of we're in an emergency and people would go, my God, we're in an emergency, what can we do? And we go, that's not our place to do that, you need to find your ways through people's assemblies or... With Fashion Act now, we've stepped away from that structure of working. And what we see ourselves doing really is pulling together all of these amazing, diverse ideas that are currently out there and creating a roadmap for change that corresponds directly to the climate emergency. So even though we feel that many people do understand the extent of the emergency, they may be working directly with brands and trying to to move a little bit slower than we need right now. Ours is going to be the crisis response. It will involve many, many conversations, a lot of thinking about what is really feasible, and a lot of thinking about how we change culture. What stories can we tell that places people at the heart of nature rather than exploiting nature? What stories can we tell where people don't consume fashion 
off hangers in a shop, but make their own, respond. Like you said, swap, share, repair, create. What status does fashion have in this new society? It's not just something we we buy and throw away. What else could it be? Um, So we're looking forward to these conversations. I can't give you more details than that because it's a work in progress. And it's so exciting. And, mm. and, 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 you know, I, I think it's, it, for me, it really feels like the way forward. And, you know, for a giant collaboration of the industry, it's like a giant think tank for everyone to co-create their ways out of it because for sure the industry as a whole needs to work differently together. Yes. And, and, and kind of almost, uh, you know, it's only at the industry-wide level that we really can create these shifts. So it's, 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 it requires a lot of people to hold hands, you know. <laughs> confidently and change their manufacturing together I mean you know if if Rana Plaza proves something you know it's like you know a lot of these brands are being manufactured in the same factories you know it's and 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 like the responsibility is at that level you know the individual brands in a manufacturing you know factory need to need to you know have full transparency they need to cooperate they need to do better they need and, and it kind of like the old traditional competition to have like, you know, the, the best look on the catwalk needs to be like, what's the best practice? <laughs> and, yes. and this is the beautiful thing that came out of it. And I'm, yes. I'm all for like, let's see these kind of new collaborations coming up, you know, which aren't just about selling more stuff, but are actually about doing, you know, extraordinary things together. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a very, very interesting time. And when you look at the talent and the passion of the voices who are engaged in this, it's, it's really difficult not to have some hope. But you're right, it has to be industry-wide and everyone has to work together. Yeah. And so, you know, what I'd love to hear from you now, about, and obviously, you know, because you do talk to, you know, these amazing kids in school about, about you know, fashion and, 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 and climate change, you know. So what's your kind of ask and or, and or top tips, if you like, you know, oh. for those who are listening who want to start somewhere, where can they start? Um, I think I think a, a really visceral understanding of the challenges facing us. Um, I think we need to educate ourselves constantly. I'm constantly educating myself, and I don't just read about uh, fashion anymore. Like you, Sarah, you you get involved in human rights. You get involved in supply chain conditions. You, uh, like I said to you before, I'm getting more and more involved in animal rights. What are the conditions of the animals within the industry? How do we change that? How do we address that? Um, are there ways for you now? to put yourself in some kind of service to the emergency that we're in. We are in a stage now where everyone needs to use whatever talent they have to learn, to broadcast the emergency, to change the stories that humans are telling about themselves, taking themselves off the top of this existence uh, of the planet and, 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 and placing ourselves firmly at the heart of nature. And when I say use whatever skills you can, I genuinely mean that. Um, They're accountants who are working as in whatever way they can towards helping mitigate the climate emergency. Um, For younger people, I would say, if you're brilliant on Instagram stories and amazing on TikTok, is there content you can make that you can share amongst your community? Um, There is a phrase that resonates a lot with me, which is stay with the trouble. It comes from a woman called Kate Fletcher, who who created an amazing sort of um, document called Earth Logic, which is is, uh, fashion that um, uses Earth as the the main inspiration, the well-being of the Earth um, as the main inspiration. And she, she says, stay with the trouble. 
So this isn't going to be an easy ride for any of us. And I think the ability to take on bad news, react to it in a positive way and keep going is one of the keystones to resilience. The resilience will need going forward, I think really develop senses of empathy and compassion towards people who are are suffering now, really, uh, from the effects of the climate emergency. I would also say, looking at my own history, I've always had a thread of compassion to other species and other people. Even when I was really young, um, I was always slightly worried about what was happening to the animals and what was happening to to the poor person and and, and what was happening to, to to nature. And if you can find that thread for you, it's something, it means it's meaningful to you. Um, and I would work with that one if I can. So if you've always been a little bit uncomfortable uh, comfortable about homelessness, maybe start there. They're also interrelated, these issues, Uh, the issues of poverty, equity, um, human and animal rights, uh, nature, climate emergency. They're really interlinked very vitally in ways that even I still don't understand. It's it's too massive to even comprehend. So any way that you can work to right an injustice of any kind is amazing already. Oh, what a beautiful invitation. I absolutely love it, Belle. Belle, thank you for being such an amazing guest and, and for sharing your story with us. And um, if anybody wants to find out about Fashion Acts now, where do they go? Uh, we have a website. Um, I can share links with you. Um, we're on Instagram as well. Fantastic. So look for them on, on Instagram uh, and um, for the website and we'll share the details um, when we post this podcast. Belle, thank you so, so much. Bless you. Thank you, Sarah.